0: Help us to have discerning minds and soft hearts and to delight in your truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I promised that we'd be doing John, all of 2017, John's Gospel, except in school holidays when we would definitely do a bit of Old Testament to keep us all balanced in our Bible. We're doing three consecutive Psalms, Psalm 24 to 26 over the next three weeks in a series that I've titled... The way of the righteous, which is a risky title, I think, because the way of the righteous tends to set up this paradigm of us versus them. The righteous versus the other. Who are the righteous? We debate this in society. If we think about just the whole debate about same sex marriage, you've got two sides, they both think they're righteous, that they've got the righteous side. I, I don't know about if you're in a relationship like I am, I'm married. And I, at times, have conflict with my dear wife. And it's fair to say that 95% of the time, I am in the right. (laughs) And 5% of the time, I'm not not saying I'm perfect, but 95% of the time, she's wrong. And the problem we have in our marriage is that she seems to think that 95% of the time, she's in the right, and that I am wrong. The way of the righteous. The big problem we have is that we all have a massive bias towards self righteousness. And who can judge? Sometimes I wish someone would come into my marriage and be the judge because they would see how right I am and tell us you're so wrong. Who's impartial? Well, here's the impartial one God, the creator, God, the lawgiver. God who sees all he is the perfect judge and the way of the righteous is not an exercise in self-righteousness or back patting look at me I am righteous the way of the righteous is really all about learning to live under God's rule and trusting him as judge And Psalm 24 is an ideal introduction to what it means to live under the rule of God in the presence of the King Almighty. It's a psalm of David. David was king of Israel, the the great king of Israel. David knows all about ruling. He knows what it's like for people to approach him as king. He knows what it's like to exercise judgment in his dominion. He knows what it means to have power and status. David, the king, knows you don't just rock up to the king and demand. David also knows that he is not the great king, that his rule is but temporary and partial. David writes, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. We'll move on to the next one there. Thanks. The entire world is in the presence and under the rule of God Almighty. He made the world. He made us. He owns us. We are His. We belong to Him. He is Lord. He is creator and He rules over the chaos. In the ancient world, the sea was a classic symbol of chaos, this surging crazy sea, and the waters were used as symbols of chaos. But the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. He founded it on the seas. He established it on the waters. God rules over the chaos. He brings security and peace out of the chaos. His power envelops us and surrounds us all. We live under His rule. And the way of the righteous is simply this. It's to submit and find peace under the rule of God. As the mere cats would say, simples. <coughs> and yet, and yet, the way of the righteous is simple, but as Paul writes to the Romans, as he puts together a lot of verses from the Old Testament, Romans chapter 3, which I didn't bookmark, so I keep looking for it, but it's not there. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is our world. That is our heart. We resist God's rule. Our our own hearts are wellsprings gushing up, bubbling up of chaos and rebellion and we set ourselves up as enemies of God. Under the King. Every heart wants to do its own thing. Every heart wants to assert its own rule. We're at conflict with God. We're at conflict because of that with others. We live in a world that's run amok And it's this downward spiral of chaos that results. Because I'm the king and you think you're the king. And we resist God the king. It's it's preposterous rebellion. Will God in his sovereign power accept us into his presence? Those who live in a world that's run amok those who try to take the throne for ourselves. Will he accept us into his presence if we want to overthrow him, displace his rule? Well, there are really only two options to approach this king. We either approach as a captured outlaw, kicking and screaming, knowing that we must face the consequences of our rebellion, Or we approach as a willing subject, prepared to meet the king. We'll move, next slide, thanks, Sean. The question in verse 3 Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? How are you going to approach God? And who can? Throughout the Old Testament, and you see in the Old Testament constantly the people of Israel, God's own people in constant rebellion, constantly trying to get rid of God and his rule. We see this pattern of their unrighteousness leading to separation from God. And Israel's religion, their whole religious system, systematized and symbolically represented that God was ruler amongst them, that they were his people and he was the king and yet they were separated from God. At David's time, this was symbolised. See, David was a great king. He expanded the borders of Israel as per God's promise. He conquered the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace, in the city of Jerusalem, he brought God's representative tent, his dwelling place, the tabernacle, and he placed the tabernacle right up at the high place on what they call Mount Zion. And in that tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, this box and within the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments and menna, symbolizing God's presence amongst his people. So God was there in Jerusalem, but God was far in Jerusalem because... You had to first go to the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of peace. Then you had to go to Mount Zion and then you had to go to the tabernacle and then there were various courtyards and spaces you were allowed to go in. With each one you had to make different preparation and only priests were allowed in this place and right in the middle was his special room called the Holy of Holies and in the middle of the room was the box, the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing God's presence. And only once a year, only the high priest could enter that room and never open the box. And the rest of the people, they were out there. And in that room, the high priest represented the people before God. It's this separation and presence. Could you... Ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in God's holy place? No way. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place, says David. The answer, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Clean hands, actions, pure hearts, thoughts. The third phrase could be translated, the one who does not exalt his life to emptiness. The one who does not lift up his life to emptiness, to wasteful things, to useless pursuits, but honours and worships God alone. The one who swears truly, who tells the truth and sticks by their promises. Could King David be that person? No way possible. He was a man of blood. He was a man of rebellion and adultery he was a wicked man only one whose heart was a heart where god reigned and brought his peace out of the chaos only a heart that was settled in god could enter and stand before god whose heart would that be well who, who is the righteous form a Q here to stand before Almighty God and you know the only people who come forward to stand in that queue are the deluded are those who are self-righteous they're righteous in their own eyes and said they say to themselves listen I am the judge and I think I'm pretty good which is almost the complete insult the complete rebellion against God who sees and knows all that you would say you are righteous What an insult. Who stands in the queue? Only the people who will be cast far away. Who are amongst the most wicked. Those righteous in their own eyes. God's reign will not bear the chaos. God rules over the chaos and the outlaw must be removed. I'm not having someone in my throne room who wants to take my throne. To the way of the righteous, to be in the presence of the king, that's not for you and for me. But if you look at verse 5, it seems that some can approach and enter the presence of the king. Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication, or more literally righteousness, from God their saviour. the righteousness they enjoy, the blessing they enjoy comes to them as a gift from God. These who can stand, they will receive righteousness and blessing from God. Not something achieved, but something received. And how is it received? Verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. It's really for those who approach God not as an enemy, not seeking to overthrow his throne, but in humility, in subjection, seeking grace, seeking to be treated as they don't deserve to be treated, asking God to do for them what they are not able to do for themselves. Lord, grant me righteousness and blessing. Now, For David, he would have understood this because the whole sacrificial system in the temple was a pattern, a very partial pattern to represent this humble approach to God. In fact, the tabernacle or the temple as it later was, this dwelling, this house of separation is actually the means also of entering into the presence of God. You would come confessing sin. I am not righteous. My hands are not clean. My heart is not pure. My worship is distorted. But I need, God, your forgiveness. I need your peace. I need your rule in my life. Will you accept this sacrifice? Will you accept this offering? Will you accept that my rebellion and my judgment for my rebellion is paid for not by myself, but in the death of an animal on my behalf. So there's a covering over. There's an atonement of my sin. This is my humble plea, Lord. That's what you did at the temple. This is my humble plea. Accept this in place of me. But the blood of bulls and goats could never take away our sin or cleanse us. There was a need of a sacrifice that would cover over sin the sacrifices we considered at communion met by jesus christ the son of god who offered his own blood who offered his righteous life his clean hands and pure heart and noble worship and true lips as payment for our rebellion so that in him we might be forgiven the apostle paul puts it beautifully in philippians chapter 3 I've got too many bookmarks today and I'm just getting confused. it would be better if I just went there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, says Paul, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever righteousness or good standing I may have had, everything's a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. All my righteous deeds I consider garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from following the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says the way of the righteous is by faith in Jesus Christ, who provides righteousness for us, Therefore in him if we go to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 Paul says God's intent was that through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord Paul saying I want God's wisdom to be seen everywhere through what he's done through Jesus Paul then says, in him, in Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence in Christ, our righteousness. You go to the book of Hebrews and we find there that Jesus is called both the high priest who makes the sacrifice on behalf of the people and he is also the sacrifice made on behalf of the people. He is the fulfillment of that whole system that David understood in Jerusalem. So Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened us up for us through the curtain, that is his body. Let's think about communion. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of, that faith brings us, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In Christ Jesus, by the power of His Spirit, God begins to rule in our hearts bringing order out of the chaos, shaping and conforming us by the power of the Spirit to the image of Jesus, making us people increasingly with clean hands and a pure heart. Through the cross of Christ, God defeats the enemy, which is the Satan, who would accuse us and tempt us and lead us astray. And so to believe in Jesus by faith is to be invaded by God. It's to be born again. It's to be overthrown. It's to have a new ruler in our heart. It's to seat Jesus on the throne, as we take ourselves off the throne of our heart. It's to welcome God's Holy Spirit, so that He may reign over the chaos. The way of the righteous, you see, in the whole story of the Scripture is to submit to Jesus by faith and to accept his work for us such that we are born again and receive the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this in verse 23, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. God with us, in us. This is the Holy Spirit Jesus is talking about. Where God invades and cleanses and starts renewing our outward works. These are the righteous who can approach the King. Jesus so what we need to do then is to welcome the king we have to be in a place where we say I want God's rule in my heart I want his peace and forgiveness I want to be cleansed and to do that you have to first humble yourself and seek him as David suggested in the psalm to accept the gift that he offers I think King David knew what he was talking about when he penned this psalm. I think he realised that his kingdom that he ruled over needed to be subject to the great king, God's kingdom. I think he realised that his heart, despite his many failings, needed to be subject to God's rule. The symbol of God's presence and power, as I'd said at the time, was this box this Ark of the Covenant. It's quite possible, scholars might argue, and it's not assured, that David may have even written this psalm when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the city of Jerusalem and placed in the tabernacle. Because David brought it in with great joy so he writes, lift up your heads, you gates. In verse 7, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. so my question is that is that your prayer do you welcome the king almighty or do you resist his rule and his holy war will you welcome the king of glory well but let us ask then who is this king of glory that's what the psalm asks who is this king of glory david answers the lord yahweh he is the king of glory He is the Lord Almighty. You know what happens when we get to the New Testament? The Word became flesh, John says in John's Gospel, chapter 1, and dwelt amongst us. And John says, we have beheld his glory. The glory is your only Son from the Father's side. Who is this King of glory? If you go to the end of the Bible, Revelation, I've already read this at at, um, Communion. To Jesus, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Who is the king of glory? In chapter 4, there's a scene in heaven. And we read in chapter 4, verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. John has his vision in heaven. I looked and before me were many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands. They're encircling the throne of God. And there's living creatures and elders and in a loud voice they're saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. This is Jesus to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard living creatures in heaven and on earth and on the sea and all of them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and all the elders, they fell down and worshiped. Who is the king of glory? Jesus the lamb is the king of Of glory. When we get to Romans chapter, Revelation chapter 19, to almost the end of our Bible, we meet a heavenly warrior riding on a white horse. And on his head there are many crowns because he is king. And he defeats the beast, the enemy, the Satan. And we read this. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Many crowns come with Jesus, the King of glory. Who is the King of glory? Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord. I would say we could now read the Lord Jesus, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. Jesus, the Christ. He is the King of glory. See, the way of the righteous is not by our own strength. Our own feeble attempts to make ourselves righteous, to somehow so conquer our heart that we can be righteous by our own strength? No, that's not the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous is those who submit to Jesus as the King of glory, who pray, if you like, Lord Jesus, by the power that is yours alone, by the blood of your eternal sacrifice, come in and take over Because I am yours. I always have been. And now I hand over my heart and my life to you. And you are mine. You are my king. That's actually what it means to become a Christian. That sort of prayer. You are my king. Come in and take over the rule of my heart. And you know... I don't know that you can do better than the words of the song we often sing. We're going to sing it today. And I invite as we, invite you as we sing this song that we're going to close with, maybe for the very first time, to invite Jesus to come in and occupy your heart. And maybe if you're already a Christian, that you might use this song as a way to re-welcome the Lord Jesus into your heart and say, Lord Jesus, out of the chaos, bring peace. Work righteousness that I may have clean hands and a pure heart to serve you. The song we sing, O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme, conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased me. Make me yours forevermore. Let's sing that together and I encourage you as we sing to invite Jesus into your heart. Thank you.
1: Please stand and we'll sing together.
0: blessing to you as you've caught more of, uh, of how great God is and you have a, a greater uh, sense of awe about our, about our Lord Almighty and certainly a, a sense of humility about who we are before him. Uh, please stay, stick around and enjoy morning tea and please come back at 6 o'clock tonight for our praise and worship night as well and um, it would be helpful if you could leave your name on, on a list too, that, that would help the organisers. Thank you.